right, so how many of you instinctively started singing along immediately? Yeah, I saw you. I saw you. I actually was uh, rooting for Tina Turner, personally. Oh, come on, come on. What's love got to do, got to do with it? Right, come on, everybody. What's love but a second-hand emotion? Got to get the... All right, all right. Well, actually, what does love have to do with it? We're going to find out today. Um, it has everything to do with it. It's true. What we need is really love, right? When, when they came to Jesus and they asked him, what's the greatest commandment? <clears throat> he said, you got to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You got to love each other as yourself. Everything else that you're going to find in the Bible hangs on those two things right there. So it really is actually all about love. And then Paul in the New Testament told us that. He just said, you can, you can do all these wonderful things, but if you don't do them, if you don't have love, he says, you're actually nothing. Well, man, welcome. Uh, thank you so much for joining us on this rainy day. Uh, if, you're, if you're new, today is our last day. We've been in a series called Imagine Heaven. And today is our seventh week, and it's our last week on this series. I've had lots of conversations with people, even just this week and this morning, saying, hey, thank you so much, because I, I think it's been a really good eye-opener for everyone about what is the reality of, that's going to happen after we die. So we've talked about the beauty of, of relationship in heaven, the fact that you can be with those that you love, who, who have received Christ, and, and not only those that you love, we're going to be with people from all over the world. We're going to be with people from throughout all of history. It's, gonna, it's absolutely fascinating. In fact, in, in light of that, uh, today at 5.30 right here, we're hosting what's called the Global Day of Prayer. And we're going to be celebrating right here in, in our valley, just that the world is here. I went to it last year. It was fantastic. If you would want to come, we're going to pray for the world. You're going to hear from people from all over the world. It's fantastic. That'll be tonight here at 530. We've looked at perfection in heaven, beauty, pleasure. Last week that Jesus is the light and the love, the very thing that everyone, every human being is striving for, looking for is life and love. And Jesus is that in all of his fullness. And so today, to culminate this, we're going to look at what the Bible tells us, and that is that everything, every little thing that we do while we're on earth is actually going to be revealed and rewarded in heaven. And when that day happens and we stand before Jesus and everything is revealed, all we're going to need is love. So partly what we've been doing in this series, again, if you're new, there is a book called Imagine Heaven. It's a buddy of mine, John Burke. Uh, John's an engineer by, by, by trade and his mind. That's how it works. He was a very skeptical person, didn't believe in God or the afterlife, anything of that nature. His dad was dying of cancer, and somebody gave him a book about near-death experiences. He started reading up on that, and, he just, and it was one of the things that just hit him. He said, oh my goodness, if, if this is actually possibly true, then this is the most important thing that I need to be thinking about. John eventually put his faith in Christ, became a pastor. He wrote this book, and in this book, he studied a thousand near-death experiences. And it's just been fascinating to watch how what the Bible has been saying for thousands of years, people are saying as well. And I think much of this is just because of our, our advancements in medicine, that we're able actually, people who are flatlined, we're actually able to bring them back now. And they're telling stories. So as we jump into today and this whole idea of is there a time in heaven of reward, um, let's watch these two stories. Howard.
Howard, tell us about this life review that you had. There was a number of angels, I call them angels, who had been recording my entire life, all my life, and Jesus wanted them to play out in chronological order the scenes of my life. And the entire emphasis was on my interaction with other people, of course, initially starting out with my mother and father and my sisters and then, you know, school and friends and um, So you just, you saw it or you We saw it, experienced we felt it. it, we experienced it. It was really interesting because it was, um, the whole emphasis was on people and not on things. Matter of fact, there were some instances where um, I had uh, won promotions, honors, awards, and they skipped them. And Jesus, I said to Jesus, uh, you're skipping the most important thing in my life. This is what I live for, to get this award. Kentucky Artist of the Year. Big banquet in my honor and a big cash prize and everything. And uh, he said, that's not what we're here for you to see. That's not important. What I want you to see is how you treated the students. So what I learned in my life review was that um, the um, relationship with my father, I had participated in the breakdown of that relationship as much as he did. He was not a good father to me, and I resented it, and I was angry at him, so I did everything I could subconsciously and sometimes consciously to be as rebellious and as cold-hearted towards him as possible, which only aggravated him more and made him more of a hostile father. So the things that I had seen in my life that where I was the victim and everybody else was the bad guy, I came to find out. Um, it was a two-way street. We were both the plainest skin. As my life progressed from my adolescence into my adulthood, I saw myself turning completely away from God, church, all that, and becoming um, a person who decided that life was all about um, the biggest, baddest bear in the woods wins. And now I began to experience Jesus and the angels literal pain. What do you mean? Emotional pain with watching scenes in my life. And like, here's the nicest, kindest, most loving being I've ever met, who I realize is my Lord, my Savior, even my Creator, holding me and supporting me, trying to um, give me more understanding of my life. And it was figuratively, not literally, like I was like stabbing him in the heart as we're watching this stuff. And the last thing I wanted to do was to hurt him. And I don't want to hurt him to this day. Uh, Jesus is a very feeling man. God is a very feeling creator. What were you seeing played out? I saw scenes where um, my sister was in bed crying and I got up in the middle of the night and went in and put my arms around her and hugged her. And Jesus and the angels were so filled with joy that I had been willing to do that, to try and, um, you know, help her a little Comfort bit in her. her grief. But those were rare, the, uh, the scenes of my indifference. Just seeing, seeing people as objects in order to maneuver around through or, you know, to shift to further my, my goals and my ambitions. We did go through a life review and it was nothing like I would have imagined. What, what my, was the life review like? My life was laid bare for all its good and bad. And one of the things we did was look at many, many, many events throughout my life that I would have otherwise called terrible or horrible or sad or bad or tragic. And instead of looking at an event in isolation, 
or looking at how it impacted me and my little world, I had the most remarkable experience of seeing the ripple effects of the event when seen 25, 30, 35 times removed. It's really interesting if you've read this book, but when you go through it, <clears throat> almost every person who has a near-death experience will say that when they, when they connect with that, this, this uh, life review with Jesus, that the question they hear is, what did you do with your life? And people who researched near-death experiences will say that it's this life review process that impacts people more than anything else out of their experience. And I think that's right. It would be because I actually know now. It's, it's clear to me what life is really all about and what actually matters in heaven. And I love the fact that she just said, uh, fascinating, isn't it? Because once you get out of this dimension and you're outside of time, there's a whole other dimension beyond this. And the people will be dead, flatlined for a few minutes, but they'll come back with unbelievable recollections of their whole life being laid before them. The fact that she got to tell, she got to experience the ripple effects, right, of her life, what everything she did and how that affected everyone around her. Actually, that's why our next series starting next Sunday is called Ripple Effect. We're going to talk about how do we actually start to practically bring this kingdom of heaven into this world now. Because every one of us has the power actually to change people's lives by the way that we live. So that's what we're going to look at um, today. And uh, just one other quick one, this Dr. George Ritchie, he says this, every detail of 20 years of living was there to be looked at. The good, the bad, the high points, the run of the mill, and with this all-inclusive view came a question. It was implicit in every scene, and like the scenes themselves, seemed to proceed from the living light beside me. The question was, what did you do with your life? And already I understood that in my first frantic efforts to come up with an impressive answer, can't you imagine this, you're doing the same thing? Um, how am I gonna impress Jesus? I had missed the point altogether. He was not asking about accomplishments and awards. The question, like everything else proceeding from him, had to do with love. How much have you loved with your life? And have you loved others as I am loving you? So today, you guys, here's what we're going to look at. We're going to look at the fact that heaven is revealing to us, the scriptures reveal to us, that after we die, there is a time of judgment, but we have time to prepare. That's what we're going to look at. And then something that I think most people had no idea of, we're going to explain eternally what is this time to come? Why do rewards even matter in heaven? And then we're going to end it very practically by looking at it is a time to love and how are we going to do that? All right? So let's pray and then we'll dive in. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for Jesus. Thanks that he came to testify to the truth, to reveal to us so we don't have to wonder why we're here. We don't have to wonder what's going to happen after we die. But God, I know this, that um, even your disciples, Jesus, that you taught them for three years and they didn't get it. Something more has to happen here this morning. There's a lot of us in here who have a lot of knowledge, but God, we need, we need more than that. We really need your spirit to come. I need your spirit to come and empower me through what I hear today, through what we hear today, would you come and move in us so that it actually changes how we live? And we pray for that grace in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's look at the time of judgment. 
Now, as soon as I say that, right, a time of judgment, how many of you were like, woohoo, right? We love that word, judgment. No, we, we hate that word, judgment. But the, here's what you need to understand. This life review that they had, that's not actually um, the judgment. It's not the final judgment. The final judgment that you and I are going to experience with God actually happens at the culmination of this world. There will be a time when life and time and history as we know it is complete. It's finished. It's done. And at the culmination of all of the world, of all of history, when Jesus comes back, that's when the actual judgment happens. And what's interesting is there are two judgments. Okay? There's two. And they're both mentioned here in Revelation chapter 20. Look at this. John says, I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. And the earth and the heavens fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. And books were opened, and another book was opened. Okay, so there's two things going on here. There's books, plural, that are opened. But then there's a book that was opened. And that book is called the Book of Life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. So the first judgment that the Bible tells us about is a judgment that is in this book of life. And this is a record, in the book of life, is a record of every single person who has received salvation by putting their faith in Jesus Christ. As soon as you receive Christ, he came as the creator and redeemer of this world. God sent him into the world to save the world. Not to condemn the world, but to save it. And as soon as you put your faith in Christ, your name goes into this book of life. The first judgment is simply that. Is your name in the book of life or not? Did you put your faith in Christ and receive his forgiveness of all of your sin? And did he give you a new heart? As he said, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven unless you're born again. Unless you get a new spirit that actually wants to follow God. Or, as we talked about two weeks ago... Have you decided while you were on earth that you really didn't want to enter God's kingdom? That you, you wanted your life apart from God? And if so, then your name isn't in the book of life. And, and, and you can go back. We talked about this two weeks. We, we talked about the ticket of heaven and we talked about this whole idea of hell. That hell is simply the place for people that God created for people who said, I don't want you in my life. And he goes, okay, then I'll create a place for you. So that's the first judgment. Are you, is your name written in the book of life, which leads to an eternal relationship in the kingdom of God? Or is it not in there? And then that leads you into a, a, an eternal destiny of separation from God. So, secondly, that's the first judgment, the book of life. But the second judgment talks about how books are opened. And these books are everything that we have ever done. And here's what we need to know. If your name is in the book of life... You are going to go through the second judgment, which is a judgment of our works. Now, this is important to understand, right? Because you don't get into heaven. The book of life is not by works. You get your name in the book of heaven by not trusting in your works, but by put, trusting your, the work of Christ on your behalf. It's a total gift, which is really good news, isn't it? It's really good news that you don't have to try to be good enough to get into heaven. You get into heaven by the work of God on your behalf that you receive. But once you've received that, then there's this reward thing that goes on. Look at this, 2 Corinthians 5. It says, We made it our goal to please him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it, for we must all appear 
before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. So all of us are going to have our life laid before us, okay? It's called the Bema Seat, if you've ever heard that. It's just a, it's a judgment seat. Back in that day, if there was a judge, uh, it was sometimes in the legal court of law, or it was also used of the, of the person who would judge the Olympic Games at that time, okay? Every action... <laughs> Now here's what's important. What this is saying is, we're going to receive what is due us for what we've done. So somehow, every action that you and I have done on this planet, whether good or bad, will result in a reception. <laughs> what we do, we receive. And I think this is where Jesus said, give and it will be given to you. For the, with the measure that you use, it will be measured to you. <laughs> Somehow, there's a reward ceremony that's going to go on. Now, how many of you right now are kind of trembling a little bit? Anybody trembling? <laughs> Anybody out here going, are you kidding me? Everything I've ever done? Oh, it gets even better than this, okay? Look at this. 1 Corinthians 4 says, Now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. Now, this is one that, that hits me. You know, go, go ahead and put that back. Just I want to sit with that verse. It is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. And here's what I realize, is God gives a trust to everybody. But they're not the same things. In this, later on, I'll share with you a parable that Jesus said. He goes, sometimes I give people 10 talents. Sometimes I give people five talents. Sometimes I give people one. So whatever you're entrusted with is unique to you. So like for me, one of the things that hits me is I've been entrusted with being the pastor of K2, the church. That freaks me out. <laughs> and I'm like, I did not sign up. Well, I, I, I did, but I didn't want it, you know? But, 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 but that's my trust. And, and, but here's the deal. All that means is that I'm being entrusted with the gift that God gave me. And I better be faithful to it. To teach, to lead, to care, those are my things. But you know what, a couple years ago I realized I'm not the only person who's been entrusted with K2. Who else has been entrusted with K2? Okay, everybody raise your hand. I saw, everybody raise your hand. Because <laughs> this is the truth. The truth is, every one of you has been entrusted with something that God has asked you to bring. And every single one of us need to be faithful to it. Paul goes on, I love this, he goes in verse 3, I care very little if I am judged by you or by any human court. Isn't that great? <laughs> Indeed, I don't even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent because it is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. And this is, listen, listen, listen. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness, and he will expose the motives of the heart. And at that time, each will receive their praise from God. See, and this is what people who've had these near-death experiences say. When they have their life review, not only is what they've done exposed, every thought they've ever had and the motive of why they did it is clearly laid out. <laughs> Aren't you excited? <laughs> but it's crazy. Everything's going to be laid bare. And here's what's weird. While, and this is what's 
just blows me away. While they were having their life review with Christ, they felt nothing but love. Nothing but love. That's crazy. You know why? Because as soon as I received Christ, I have been completely justified. Completely. The Bible says I am seen without blemish and without accusation. Not because of anything I've done, but because what Christ has done for me. So my relationship with God is so completely reconciled that he does nothing but love me. And at the same time, and this is so bizarre, at the same time, as these guys said, everything I've ever done that actually grieves a God, we can grieve the spirit, the Bible says, is going to be laid before me. But look what it says. At that time, every person is going to receive their praise from God. How many of you knew that when you get to heaven, you're going to stand before God and God's going to be like, Woo! Yeah! You, baby, you rock! How many of you thought that was going to happen when you got to heaven? Yeah, nobody, right? You're like, are you kidding me? No, the Bible says you will receive your praise from God. Now, I want to tell you what, man, even right now, how does it feel when somebody that matters to you praises you? How many of you have kids, and every time they do anything, what do they do? Dad, did you see that? Mom, Mom, did you see that? Why? Because your opinion matters, and when you praise on them, it lifts them up. And your Father in heaven can't wait that every little thing you've done that was in line with him, he's going to be, yes, way to go. Are you guys ready for that? How cool is that going to be? I mean, that's what happens. You know, yeah, I mean, it's, it's amazing. Employees right now, we want that from our bosses. We have award ceremonies for everything. Why? Could it be because God has an award ceremony waiting for you. Revelation eleven eighteen says, the time has come for judging the dead and for rewarding your servants, the prophets, and your people who revere your name, and look at this, both great and small. Some of you right now, you're going, oh, this will be great, man. I, I don't got anything. God's like, oh, you have no idea. You have no idea. You wait, man. My rewards for you, it doesn't matter what you, it doesn't matter your status on earth. Some of you, in fact, when we get to heaven, you guys, the great and the small are going to just surprise us. The people that we thought were great here, they might be at the bottom of the rung. And the people you knew nothing about are going to be lifted high. But man, the time is coming for everybody. So here's what we need to know. The first thing is, there will be a time, even for all of us who are completely sealed and heaven, we're in for sure. We're going to stand before Jesus and we're going to have a time where he judges every single thing and he can't wait to praise us for what we've done. Now here's the good news. Number two, we have time to prepare, right? <laughs> this is good news. You, aren't, you, haven't, you haven't died yet. And so right now, you can prepare now for that time. And well, apparently, the question that you and I need to ask ourselves this morning is what do you do with your life? What are you doing with your life? What do you really live for? And I want you, I'm, seriously, you've got to investigate yourself deeply right now. What is your goal? for your life. 
What's your goal? What's driving the decisions that you're making? What are you giving your time and your energy and your resource to? Whatever's getting all of that, that is your goal. Because that's what we do as humans. We give our lives to what is our goal. Look at this, 2 Corinthians 5, Paul writes, he goes, okay man, I've seen heaven, let me tell you this. Our goal is to please him. Whether we are at home in the body or away from it. So you guys, when this reality hits us, that we're actually gonna stand before Jesus one day, all of a sudden, that should shift the goal of our life. And Paul says it's to please him. The Bible tells us without faith, it is impossible to please God. And then the Bible tells us this, that faith without action is what? It's dead. So that's why we're actually going to be judged when we get before Jesus. We're not going to be judged. You're not going to fill out a test. Okay, we're going to figure out a test. And how much did you know? Let's check your theology out. Okay? He is not going to ask you what you knew. He's going to ask you what you did. Because you can know stuff and never do it. And Jesus isn't interested in that at all. He's interested in your faith. What do you actually trust in? And if you actually trust in this, then you act on it. And so that's why Paul says the only thing that counts, the only thing in our life, is faith expressing itself through love. So, how do we prepare for this? Well, in the Bible, there's two analogies that we've been given that I think are going to try to inspire us. And the first one is sports. How cool is that? Bring it on. I, I feel so much better about myself and my passion for sports. It's right here in the Bible, all right? Now, now think about this. And here's why he uses sports. Because athletes give everything they've got. What is the goal of an Olympic athlete? It's to stand one day at that place of judgment and get the gold medal around your neck. It's the NFL giving everything that they've got so that one day they can stand on the victory platform and hold up the Lombardi trophy. And what do these athletes do? They give up their life. They sacrifice their time. They eat good stuff. They, they exercise their bodies. They, 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 don't, they don't have fun on weekends. They go to bed, everything. Why? They give their life to their goal. Look at what Paul says. Do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Everyone who competes run, I'm sorry, run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. But they do it to get a crown that will not last. We do it to get a crown that will last forever. Can I just ask you guys, how many of us in this room are running the spiritual race, believing that someday you're gonna stand in front of the cloud of witnesses, you're gonna stand in front of your creator, and he's going to do a reward ceremony for you. And do you go into strict training? Do you beat your body? Do you, I, and that's what he's saying, it's like, come on, you guys. Right now, some of you are giving everything you've got to something that's going to be gone after you die and there's going to be no eternal investment in it? Or do you give yourself to, you can prepare for 
the award. The other illustration the Bible gives us is citizenship. And this is really interesting. In 1 Peter 1.17, he says, Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. Okay, here's what you know. God's going to judge every one of our works impartially. He goes, now that you know that, hey, live as a foreigner here. What's that mean? Well, you know, in, in uh, about three weeks, I'm going to be heading to Swaziland with our team. We're going to go to Swaziland. When I go to Swaziland, I'm going to be a foreigner. Now, I'm going to live in that culture for a couple weeks, right? I'm going to eat their food. It'll be a great time. We'll do all that. And then I'm going to pack up my bags and I'm going to come home. And what he's saying is your life here on earth is this short. You're actually a foreigner here. And then he goes on to say this in Philippians 3. We are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives and we eagerly await for him to return as our Savior. You guys, what the Bible tells us is as soon as you receive Christ and you're in Christ and Christ is inside you, he lives in heaven. And so you already, right now, your citizenship is in heaven. Now, some of us are going, that doesn't really motivate me that much. And so about a month ago, I was with some friends who were actually going through the naturalization ceremony to become citizens here in the United States. How many of you guys have ever been to the naturalization ceremony? Okay, oh, just a few of us. I want to tell you, it was so moving. Can I read with you what these guys had to say? There's probably about 60 or 70 people, and they all had to stand up and put their hand on their heart. And they had, to, they had to do this oath to say that they wanted to be citizens of the United States. Listen to this. I hereby declare on oath that I absolutely and entirely renounce and abjure all allegiance and fidelity to any foreign prince, potent state, state, or sovereignty of whom or which I have heretofore been a subject or citizen. Now, there was a whole lot more, and I don't have time to read it. Do you guys hear what they have? I'm standing there, and they're going, I absolutely and entirely renounce with my whole my heart all allegiance and fidelity to any other foreign prince, potent state, state, or sovereignty. And I'm sitting there the whole time, and I was just thinking, oh my gosh. Jesus tells us that we're citizens of heaven. That when you became a citizen of heaven, you know what happened? The Bible in Colossians 1.13 says that we've been rescued from the dominion of darkness. And so we're not supposed to have, what does it say? I absolutely, can I ask you a question? Have you absolutely and entirely renounced and endured all allegiance and fidelity to any foreign prince? Now, who would be the foreign prince in the case with God? Satan is called the prince of this world. And what Jesus is trying to help us to see here, man, when you receive Christ, I rescued you from the dominion of darkness, from that kingdom, and I brought you into the kingdom of the Son that I love. You changed allegiance. You now are a citizen of heaven. And so you guys, so we should be preparing for that because this isn't our home. We're foreigners here. 
And one day, right now, we should be living in his kingdom. We should be bringing his kingdom, God's goodness and his love and his righteousness and everything is beautiful. Because someday, we're gonna leave this foreign place and we're gonna be with him forever. So let's prepare. And then, why in the world? What's the motivation now? What is this reward? I'm gonna get a reward. There's a time of judgment. We have time to prepare. Here's the thing I think most people don't know. I didn't know this for years as a Christian until I went to seminary and actually studied this whole idea of heaven. Some of you know this, many of you don't. Let's talk about the time to come. Let's talk about the time to come. Um, where is my mom right now who died from cancer back in 1990? Where is Carol Keenan? Carol sat right over there every week. I just did her funeral on Wednesday. Where's Carol right now? So here's what Jesus said in Luke chapter 23. He's on the cross. There's a thief next to him. And the thief says to Jesus, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Today. So my mom right now is in his presence, in paradise with him. Carol's in his presence. But here's what you need to understand. So there is a present heaven. But they are not where they're going to be for eternity. What does that mean? They're actually at the culmination of history is one of the most fascinating things that's ever going to happen. And this becomes motivation. Look at this verse, 1 Thessalonians 4. Paul says, brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died so that you will not grieve like people who have no hope. Okay, what's going to happen to the believers who died? He goes, for since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus returns, God will bring back with him the believers who have died. Keep this up here. Can you go back one first? Look what it says. We also believe that when Jesus returns. So, and when Jesus returns, you guys, again, all of history is culminated. As life as we know it now is done. And he's going to restore everything. Now go to the next verse. And when he returns, look what he's going to do. He's going to bring back my mom. He's going to bring back Carol. Wait, wait, wait. Bring him back? Wait, wait. To where? You guys, this is so beautiful. Look in Revelation chapter 21. He goes, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth, for the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. So here's what I never understood is at the culmination of history, all of a sudden, all evil is dissipated, it's gone. And heaven and earth, which right now, there's this veil between God and us that did not exist in the Garden of Eden when everything was perfect. God and man were like this. But now there's heaven and earth. And at the culmination of history, there will be a new heaven and a new earth. And what happens is, all of a sudden, God's presence comes back to earth. Did you guys know this? 
that for eternity we're actually going to be here. But it's going to be in perfection again. There will no longer be any sin, no separation from God. Okay, let me just go on with the verse. For the first heaven, in, in verse 2, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and he will be their God. You guys, if you want more, read C.S. Lewis on this. Grab the book called Heaven, okay, by Randy Elkhorn. It's, I, it's fascinating. But you know how cool this is? You know what that means? That when we are here with God on this earth and there's no more decay, all of nature is in perfection, and we're in perfection, we're actually going to be working. Now, how many of you went, are you kidding me? Did you guys know that work didn't happen after the fall? It's not like they sinned and now God's like, all right, now you got to go work. No, you know what he said? Work actually existed before the fall. Because our God is a God who's always at work. And he's gifted every single one of you with abilities and passions. And you are going to produce things and you're going to create things. And so what happens is God is saying, the reason you need to prepare now is because what I do is what you're doing now is showing your faithfulness for what I will give to you in heaven. If there are gifts and rewards in heaven, it's almost as if, if God is saying, when you get to heaven, I'm giving you a promotion. You've been so faithful here. And it's unbelievable. It's going to be beautiful. And I, I tell you, the Bible says that we're going to rule in heaven. We're actually going to have people rule. But you know what's so cool? We're going to be psyched that they're ruling because those who rule will be the servants of all. Remember that? Like the Bible, Jesus says, the greatest in the kingdom of heaven is the servant of all. So when somebody gets into a position of ruling on, in, in the new heaven and new earth, we're going to be like, yeah, I love that guy because he totally serves me, right? I mean, it's great. That's what's going to happen. So what we need to understand is it's not just floating around in heaven for eternity. You, you as God created you to be, get to work in fullness and perfection and beauty. And he's going to reward those who are faithful now with great work in the kingdom. All right, so here we go. What, the question you're going to hear from Jesus is what did you do with your life? So for us now on May 15th, 2016, it's what will you do? Isn't this good news? See, because you and I right now, we get to say, what will we do with our life? So let's close it with this. Let's go. I'm going to give you some very practical things, a time to love. It's a time to love right now, you guys. And these are just straight from Scripture, what God tells us that he's going to reward us for. Let's look at some things. Number one, you'll be rewarded when you earnestly seek him. Every time you earnestly seek after God, he's going to go, wait to go. Without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him, you must believe he exists and he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Every time you're not too busy, every time you're not too tired, <clears throat> every time that God gets your time and you seek after him and you want to be with him, you're going to get to heaven and he's going, oh, wasn't that a great morning? <laughs> Way to go. Way to go. Number two, 
He's going to reward you every time you love your enemies. Every time you love an enemy. enemy. Matthew 5, Jesus says, I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? Now, I know I'm going to be rewarded for loving my wife who loves me. The Bible tells me to love her like Christ loved the church. He's going to reward me for loving my children and my friends. But what he's saying here is, if you don't love those who are against you, then you don't love like me. You guys, God loves everyone. So whenever anyone is against you, when they're your enemy, when they're dragging you down, and you decide in the midst of that, instead of pulling your love away, you dive in. When you get to heaven, God's going to be like, Woo! Sweet! That was awesome! That was awesome! Number three, he says, every time you love those who are in need. Matthew 25, again, I don't have time to read it, but this is the passage where he says, I'm going to separate, when I come with all my angels, I'm going to put the goats over here, I'm going to put the sheep over here. And the sheep on this side, I'm going to look at you and I'm going to say, hey, man, Thank you so much. Guys, this is going to happen to you. And many of you in this room, many of you in this room are going to receive God's praise because you do this. He's going to go, man, when you visited me when I was in prison, when you gave, when I was naked and you clothed me, when I was hungry and you fed me, and the people go, whoa, 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 when did we do that? He goes, when you did it to the least of these, you did it to me. And those are the sheep. Luke 14, write this one down, 12 through 14. It's not up here, listen. Jesus turned to his host, he said, when you put on a luncheon or a banquet, he said, don't invite your friends, brothers, relatives, and rich neighbors, for they will invite you back, and that will be your only reward. Instead, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. And then, at the resurrection of the righteous, God will reward you for inviting those who couldn't repay you. Isn't that amazing? Every time you care for somebody who's in need, you're going to stand with Jesus and he's going to be like, whoa, sweet. Number four, and I love this one, every time you're kind. Every time, this is so good, every time you just do something kind. He says, if anyone gives you even a cup of cold water. Here you go. Woo! Yeah! Hey, he's going to remember this one, right? But here's what he says. If anyone even gives a cup of cold water to one of these little ones who's my disciple, and Jeff's a disciple, and I just give a cup of cold water, he says, I tell you, that person will certainly not lose their reward. Come on, you guys. Ripple effects. Every little kind thing you do, God's watching, and he knows, and all these little things are affecting people into eternity, and he's going to be like, Yes, love you. Okay, number five, every time you're going to be rewarded every time you use your talents. Matthew chapter 25 again. This is where he says, hey, some of you guys, I gave you 10 talents. Some of you, I gave five. And every person who had a talent and they actually used it for God, when they used it for the church, when they blessed, when they took what God gave them and they used it, he says, listen, he goes, well done. 
Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. So man, all of you here who are taking what God has given you and you're using it, right? He goes, I gave you gifts for the benefit of my body, which is his church. He goes, I gave you those gifts and every time you use them, every time you've served, every time you've done that, God is gonna sit with you and go, thank you. Woo! That was awesome. You're gonna receive praise from him. Number six, you're gonna receive your reward when you are financially generous. This is when Jesus said, come on, you guys, don't store up your treasure on earth. Everything that you're building with your financial resource here on this planet, it can all be eaten away and stolen. And that's when Jesus said, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. And so what is he saying? Every time you love God or love another person with your financial resource, God goes, you are laying for yourselves treasures in heaven. And they're never going to go away. Everything else we build up our life for, we're not taking any of it with us. None of it. And Jesus is trying to help us understand, don't live for that. Store up your treasures in heaven. And Paul told Timothy, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put your hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but put your hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Listen, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share because in this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation. Look at this. For what? the coming age. And they may take hold of the life that is truly life. So sometimes, and so many of you again in here, every time you're generous, every time you use your financial resources for something outside of yourself, God's going to be like, woohoo, yeah. And it's going to lay a firm foundation for your eternity. I think that's when God's going to say, I can trust you. Because when I gave you my stuff and asked you to steward my resources, you actually did what I asked you to do with them. I can trust you. Here, you take 10 and you invest it, I'm giving you 10 more. That's what our eternity is going to be about. Number seven, he says you are going to be rewarded every time you share the gospel. Every time us as Christians share with other people in this world the good news that God so loved the world, he loves you. And he didn't come to condemn you. He came to save you. Look at this. What after all is Apollos? He was just another disciple. What's Paul? They're only servants through whom you came to believe. And as the Lord assigned each to his task. Every one of us has a task. I planted the seed. Apollos watered it. But God made it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything. But only God who makes things grow. Now look at this. But the one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose and they will each be rewarded according to their own labor. See, so God isn't saying, hey, if you can get someone to weep and fall on their knees and say the sinner's prayer, good job. He's going, no. Every time you plant a seed, every time you just let somebody know anything about me who doesn't know me, 
Every time you talk with somebody who's struggling with their faith and you water it, every time you are going to receive a reward. And you know what, you guys? I think the greatest reward for every one of us who actually shares with other people that there is a heaven and a hell. There is a kingdom of God and there is a Savior that gets you into that place. Every time we do this, look at this. Here's what Paul says. What is our hope, our joy, or our crown? What's our reward in which we will glory in the presence of Jesus when he comes? When Jesus comes and all of history is done, what are we going to glory in? Look what he says. Is it not you? It's people. Indeed, you are our glory and joy. Hey, you guys. When you die, which we're all going to do, and we stand in this perfection of love and life forever, I can tell you this, man. The only thing that's going to matter to you is who's there with you. And for every person that you were too scared to say anything about, who never really got to hear. They, they knew about Christianity, but they never, man, I'm telling you, you're going to want a crown when you stand in the presence. And every time you planted, every time you watered, and the people who are there, that's going to be a great reward. Well done. Well done. Now, last one. Last one. You will be rewarded if you don't move. If you don't move. Matt, Jesus says this, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Now, I tell you what, why don't, why don't, can I just ask, I, I know, I, already, I don't need to ask, I'll tell you. <laughs> why, why don't we share our faith with people? Because we, we're afraid. Because we're afraid we're going to get rejected. We're afraid we might get insulted. I, I've been told that. It's like, come on, Dave, I thought you were an intelligent person. How can an intelligent person believe this stuff? You know, you're going to be rejected. Some people might not want to hang with you. And so, because we don't want to get rejected, we don't share with people and help them to know that there's a chance to get there. But here's the crazy thing. Jesus says, every time you're insulted because of me, look at this, In verse 12, rejoice and be glad because Great is your reward in heaven. In the same way they persecuted the prophets um, uh, in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You know what God's saying, you guys? Persevere. Hang in there. Don't let go. You know that you're going to die. You know we're all going to die. But you know that you're going to be in the presence of Jesus forever. Don't be ashamed of him. And every time someone insults you and you stand your ground and you say, man, I'm so sorry. You always do it with gentleness and respect, right? Always. But man, I'm not moving. I believe this. Apparently, it's a great reward. It's a great reward. Hey, you guys, don't you want to stand before Jesus? And over and over and over and over and over again, have him go, Woo! Way to go, Ed Peterson! Way to go! Man, I'm so proud of you. Thank you for loving the world. And every time you do, you're going to receive your praise from God. It's unbelievable. So, band, come on up. Let's have a ripple effect, y'all. 
See, I sat through this whole series even from my own heart, and I'm like, what good is it if we know now all this about heaven if it doesn't actually change how we live? And I, I can tell you this, man, we're going to have to spur each other on. <laughs> we're going to have to encourage each other because everything within my flesh doesn't want to do this. The world doesn't want me to, me to do this. It fights against me living for God's kingdom. And the enemy is constantly battling against me. So, man, we're going to need each other to do this, okay? But, man, let's make the ripple effect and stand before Jesus on this day of judgment. And may it be a beautiful, beautiful day. Here's what Paul said. I, I actually, when I turned 50, a year and a half ago, um, some buddies of mine got me this thing. And it's a little dog tag that I put around my neck. And, and I had two phrases etched on this. Because I can tell you this, man, it is hard. Is it not hard to do this? Is it not hard for you to do this? To really, really live for eternity? It's hard. Here's what Paul said. In 2 Timothy, he says, I have fought. He's an old guy by this time. He goes, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. And I have kept the faith. And now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, our righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearance. So I etched on this thing, fight the fight and run the race. Fight the fight and run the race. I want to keep the faith. And I want to receive from him, my creator and my savior, the crown of righteousness that will be awarded to me on that day. So, man, we're going to close with a song, and it's going to tell you right off the bat. It's just going to say, here I am. Jesus, take all of me. Here's my heart. Here's my heart. Please give me the grace. Give me the mercy. Give me the strength to be able to live for you. And while we do it, we're going to take our offering. I don't need to say anything about that, man. This is just our great chance to, to lay our treasure in heaven, to give back to God what's his. So let's stand together. Let's ask God to take our hearts and help us to live the life he's redeemed us. To live.